And so as we continue, we want to keep bringing back each and every week and keep in front of us the verse that we came to at first from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want us to keep this verse constantly and continually in front of us because it reminds us again and again that Jesus is the key to every challenge that we may face in our faith in our faith journey. By keeping Jesus in front of us, we can face anything because Jesus demonstrates for us that even in the midst of our storms, that he too weathers them as we have. That he has weathered them himself. And that he fully understands what it is that we go through. And so far in our series, we've seen how Jesus has been tempted as we are. In his anxieties, we saw the distress of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was preparing to take his final steps to death on the cross. The prospect that he was going through of having to take every sin upon himself. As one having to be separated from the Father, which he had never knew, known. And even more so, receiving the fullness of his wrath was an enormous burden for him to bear that caused him to ask that that cup would be removed from him. But by grace it was not. And by grace he persevered. But also we saw Jesus in isolation. In isolation in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. A dangerous place for him or any of us to find ourselves. Because it is in that place that we might want to have our own desires met through self-gratification. Where we might want to think our safety is paramount through self-protection. Where we might think that our kingdom is best through self-exaltation. The three temptations that Jesus faced in his own moment of isolation and yet did not give in. Isolation is a place that was not in the design of God for each and every one of us. For those that have known him know that we have been called to relationship and to community. Not a state of isolation. Finding ourselves outside of the will of God. But that in the place of community and relationship, we find that temptation will not have it the last laugh. Jesus made clear that we are not made for isolation. And so maybe the challenge for us in those times is to make the phone call, to send the text, to reach out to those who won't let us stay where we are. And today we turn our attention to another difficult reality that we must face when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
It's Jesus' temptation found in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 36. And it's a much longer passage, so if you have your Bibles or the Pew Bible, go ahead and get those out so that you can follow along, because we're going to read the entirety of those 36 passages. And so, John chapter 11, verse 1 through 36 says this. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. Disciple, disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that he, I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, in hearing these words this morning, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to a deeper wisdom and revelation of who you are. That Jesus, in seeing this and hearing this, we would have deeper understanding of how you understand us, how you have gone through all the same weaknesses and trials that we would have gone through in our own lives. You also experience in your own humanity as the incarnate word of the Lord. And so open our eyes this morning and let us have deeper understanding to know you, Jesus, for who you are and that you would be worshiped and glorified in the hearing of this word this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we read through this passage, as we hear this passage, the topic might seem obvious to all of us. Uh, as long as you didn't look at your bulletin this morning, you might be tempted to think that this topic this morning is on grief. Because there is probably no greater passage in all of Scripture where we see Jesus grieve at the loss of his friend. But that is not the topic of our passage this morning. The topic of our passage is not grieving, but waiting. You might actually look at this passage, you might have heard this passage, and nowhere in this passage you actually see the word wait. At least not in English. You see, in order to find the waiting in this passage, we have to look to the Greek. In verse 6, the passage tells us, So when we heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You see, this passage always struck me as odd. It has never occurred to me that anyone, upon hearing that his dear friend was sick, would just stay where they were. How could Jesus not immediately pack his things and want to leave for Bethany at once? But if we look at the Greek context, the word used in English for stayed can also be translated as waited. And so when we hear this passage again with this change, we read, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he waited two days longer in the place where he was. And I feel like that changes things, that it shifts our perspective. It makes us think, well then what was Jesus waiting for? Why would Jesus wait? And you see, and I think in each of our lives, we have been in that place of waiting. We have wondered what it is that we have to wait for. I feel like I've been in that place many, many times in my life where things seem to be falling apart, where I'm suffering and that the hurt is great and grief is observed. And I have to sit there waiting, waiting for God to do something, something that is outside and beyond my control. And I have to sit there and I have to wait and I have to, I have to ask God continually, how much longer? Why am I waiting? I actually think of one particular instance where the waiting was great, uh, and it actually involves all of you. You see, uh, about three and a half years ago, I began the ordination process. I began 
the process of getting accepted into ordination, going through ordination exams, going through all the testing that is required in order to receive that ordination. But here's the thing. Ordination then took two and a half years from the moment that I applied. Two and a half years of waiting. And here's the thing. The reason that waiting was so great is because I knew that the Lord was already moving on my heart that it was time for a change. It was time to walk away from the ministry that I was in and start walking into the new calling that it was laying before me. But in order to do that, I had to first go through ordination. I had to receive the authority placed upon me by the denomination to make my next steps. And so I was in this period of waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, ordination came. It came about a year and a half ago. After I had waited for two and a half years, even more so after I had finished all that I needed to do and I had to wait six more months until the ordination uh, ceremony was on the calendar. But I waited and I waited. But everything was in God's time because had it been sooner, who knows where I would be? Because as soon as the ordination date was set, I then realized it was okay to start doing the process of searching for a new position to the place where God would call me. And so I waited two and a half years so that a place would be prepared for me. And as God would have it, just a mere two days after my ordination, I ended up in a church south of Atlanta to fill the pulpit for a pastor that soon would be moving on to his next call. And then a month later, I preached in that same church again, only this time. I had people inquiring whether or not I would be interested in applying for an open pastorate at that church. I'll be honest, I was a little scared at the idea. In fact, I had a little bit of trepidation thinking, should I even? I don't know that I'm ready. I am too young. I don't have the experience. There's so much that I still have to learn. But through another series of events, God opened my eyes and was like, yeah, yeah. I think that this is what God might be calling me to. But then I had to do some more waiting. Because I heard in July that you were looking, and then in August, still nothing was posted. I still couldn't apply, and I was like, well, when is this thing going to get on the road? And in my impatience, I started looking elsewhere. I started looking at other churches, at other positions. I started trying to take things into my own hands. But then, by God's grace, what felt like forever, but was only three months, the time had come. The call had come. And by the grace of God and the waiting, I ended up in that little church south of Atlanta, and here I am in Griffin, Georgia. Now, I share that story about waiting because there's a lot happening there. There's good waiting and there's bad waiting. There's waiting where I'm faithful to what God is doing, and there's waiting where I start to try to take things into my own hands. 
And I think all of us have experienced that to some point or another, that each of us has experienced this period of waiting in our lives, wondering, what are you doing, God? Why do I have to wait? What are you doing in the waiting period? Or what is the purpose of the waiting period? Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes a short amount of time. But in the end, God does it. You know, there are examples throughout all of Scripture how this happens. I, I think of David. When, Saul, when David had already known that he would be king, he was waiting for the day that he would ascend the throne. And then there was this moment where he was hiding in a cave from Saul. And Saul came into the cave to relieve himself. And it seemed the perfect timing for David to take matters into his own hands. It seemed as though Saul was delivered up to him. And yet, David knew he had to wait some more. And so instead of killing Saul... He trusted God, and he waited. But there are also those that didn't wait well. I think of Abraham, how God had promised him an heir, a son, to inherit all that God had promised. And so Abraham waited. And after 11 years of waiting, Abraham got fed up of waiting. And so he tried to do things by his own means. And he took his wife's servant and had a son through her. And then God was disappointed and said, yeah, it's not how I wanted it to happen. I am promising, promising you a son through your wife, through Sarah. And so he had to wait another 13 years for the promised son of Isaac. Scripture reveals to us time and time again that waiting is a part of our human experience. But in every moment of waiting, God is at work. And so what does that have to do with our passage today, right? We've already kind of explored a little bit how we can see waiting in the passage. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is not at all unfamiliar with waiting. Think about it. He waited since the fall of man to become incarnate. Jesus was always plan A. He always knew that he would be coming to the earth to redeem the earth and its people. But he had to wait. And then once he was incarnate, he waited 30 years to begin his ministry. And then he waited after beginning his ministry to do his first signs and wonders. And then he waited after calling his disciples to explicitly tell them, I am the Son of God, the Christ you have been waiting for. He waited his entire life to be led to the cross to save all who believe in him. And now, Jesus waits upon his throne in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father for the day that he can come back and collect his bride. Jesus is not unfamiliar with waiting. 
And in today's passage, I think it brings us closer to the humanity of Jesus' waiting and what it looks like for us to wait as well. And so, in verse 4, we, or in verse 6, we read that, he, that Lazarus was ill, and then Jesus waited two more days where he was. But to find out why he waited, we have to go back two verses to verse 4. Then Jesus heard it said, heard it and said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now he said it doesn't lead to death. Either Jesus was lying or there's something that he knew that nobody else knew. Either way, we know one thing to be absolutely true. That it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus had to go through what he went through, had to die, so that Jesus would be glorified. That's the big truth that all of us have to understand, that waiting is a place where at the end of its road, God will be glorified. There are no ifs, ands, or buts to this. God receives his glory when we wait upon the Lord. I actually think about the verse in Isaiah, right? Those who wait upon the Lord. Let's put it in context, verse 27 through 31 in Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That passage is not about any human glorification. It's not for Israel or Jacob to think highly of themselves. It is to see that in the power and strength and might of God, how he might be displayed through them. That in their waiting their strength would be renewed. That in their waiting, they would mount up with wings like eagles. That in their waiting, they shall run and not be wearying. And that in their waiting, they will walk and not faint. So how does God receive his glory in our passage today, in this instance of waiting, where Jesus was told to wait two days? Verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, but for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. It's that they would believe, it's that the disciples would see that in waiting, in that time period where it took for Lazarus to pass away, that they would be able to see something so much more. So much greater that the Son of God would be glorified and that they would believe. Verse 27, 
And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha makes one of the greatest and most profound confessions of faith found in all the New Testament. Even though her brother died, she makes the confession that she believes in God, or in Jesus as the Son of God who is coming into the world. It could not have happened if he did not wait. In verse 40 and 42, And then Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And then Lazarus walked out of the cave. Yes, the the purpose of our waiting is that the glory of God may be revealed. However, however, along the way, it is not always easy to keep that in front of us. I started there because I want us to know where we are going. But I know that along the way, on the journey of waiting, it's not easy, especially when we consider the amount of time that we might have to wait. Jesus only waited two days, which seems like an insignificant amount of time that one would have to wait to see the glory of God revealed. But in all honesty, in matters of life and death, two days is a long time. After all, Lazarus did indeed die and was buried. But here's what we need to grasp. Though Jesus waited two days, the truth is that no matter how long or how short, our waiting has no time limit. We don't get to decide when our wait is over. Because our wait is not based on a set amount of time, but on the work that God is doing that he would receive his glory. There are so many examples throughout Scripture where we see this to be true. Whether it was Abraham waiting for his son for 24 years. Whether it was Jacob waiting for a wife for seven years. Whether it was Israel waiting to enter into the promised land after 430 years of enslavement in Egypt. And then another 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And the one that's been sticking out to me most right now because I happen to be reading this on my own is Jeremiah. In the Babylonian captivity, in in Jeremiah 25.11, Jeremiah prophesies to the people of Jerusalem, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years. And you might hear all those things in Scripture and be discouraged. I mean, I know that there have been times for me in the waiting where I felt nothing but discouragement, where I was wondering, when is this going to be over? Even now, I find myself in this period of waiting that I could have sworn was going to be days, maybe a week, two weeks max. And here I am now a month in still waiting for God to do whatever it is he is going to do for this particular challenge in my life. 
And here's the thing. It's been a month. It might be many more. It might be months. It may be years. But here's the thing. I have to remember that there is no time limit. I could very easily turn down a path of isolation, temptation, anxiety because of the waiting. But if I remember that waiting is for God's glory and I keep that in front of me and we keep that in front of us, then we might see beyond the suffering of our waiting to expect to see the glory of God revealed. You see, in Jeremiah, he prophesied that the Jews would be in captivity for 70 years. And that's a long time to wait. But we also receive the words of Jeremiah in chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What a joy knowing that in the waiting that God had a plan for his glory to be revealed in the people of Judea and Israel. But also know this. That along the way, during the waiting, others will question you. Make no mistake that from the outside, both believers and non-believers will ask you why you continue to wait. Verse 20 and 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house and Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, why did you wait? Why didn't you come immediately when we called for you? Why did you wait two more days where you were at before you decided to come? To be honest, it is the questions from others that drive me away sometimes more than they drive me in. On so many occasions, I remember people asking me why I kept waiting for something instead of taking action myself. But it is in those moments, in those moments, that I have to remember that God called me to waiting and not to presupposing what it is that he wanted me to do. It's easy for us to get defensive, to, to not know how to respond, to become afraid of just saying, I wait because God told me to. I remember Job. After losing everything in a day, his friends came around him and began to question everything. Questioned his faith, questioned why he kept waiting on God in the midst of his torment. They questioned God. They questioned Job. And as much as Job tried to hold out, he didn't. And eventually we find God rebuking Job and his friends. But then Job responds in, verse, in chapter 43. 42. 
I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel with knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you, Lord, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In the midst of our questions, in the midst of others' questions, there is but one with whom we need to go with every question, just as Job did to the Lord. And then in the middle of that time, when we find it difficult, let us also remember Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. One last thing for us to understand in the waiting waiting, is that there is no guarantee for it to be easy. Or even when we know the truth that we'll get through unscathed. Jesus knew that his waiting was for the glory of the Father to be revealed and for himself to be glorified. There's no mistake in that. He knew that in verse 4. He even knew what the outcome of everything that was about to transpire would be. But just because he knew, and just because we may know, what what, what what the waiting might lead toward It doesn't mean we won't struggle, and it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't struggle. Jesus knew that Lazarus Lazarus died, and he knew that Lazarus would raise again. And he knew only mere moments before all of this was about to take place, and yet in verses 33 through 35 we read that when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And when he saw, Jesus wept. He was moments from one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament to actually occur. And yet, in the waiting for that moment to happen, Jesus grieved. You know, the reason that this sermon isn't on grief is because grief is really about waiting. It is about waiting to see the future glory of God revealed through the losses we experience in our lives. It's in our waiting that we may experience grief or anger or trepidation or disgust or shame or a combination of all of the above. Because we are made with emotion. We're made to know that waiting is difficult because we were made knowing that God reveals His glory in all things. But just like for Jesus, God is not afraid of our emotions. I love what Speak Cazero says in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The problem for many of us comes when we have a difficult feeling, such as anger or sadness. 
unconsciously, we have a rule against those feelings. We feel defective because we ought not to be feeling the wrong things. We then lie to ourselves, sometimes convincing ourselves that we aren't feeling anything because we don't think we should be feeling it. We shut down our humanity. And so it was with me. I never really explored what I was feeling. I was never prepared to be honest about my emotions with God or myself. And as a result, I often said one thing with my words, but my tone of voice, facial expressions, and body posture said another. The problem is that when we neglect our most intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and close off an open door through which to know God. I remember the awkwardness when I began to be honest about my feelings. Initially, I wondered if I was betraying God or leaving Christianity. I feared that if I opened Pandora's box, I would get lost in a black hole of unresolved emotions. I was breaking an unspoken commandment of my family and my church tradition. But to my surprise, God was able to handle my wild emotions as they erupted after 36 years of stuffing them. I came alive like never before, and I rediscovered his love and grace, much like David, Job, and Jeremiah. I also began the journey to know myself, that I might know God. Emotions, experiencing those things in the waiting is not the work of the devil. They are God-given. God himself experiences them. We see it in Jesus, in his own humanity. But it's what we do when we have those emotions that we may make room for the devil. In the waiting, we will have emotions. We are allowed to. And we must experience them. Face them. Figure out what they are. But we must also trust God in the process. Turn to him. Lean on him. And ultimately remember the truth that we learned at the beginning of our passage. That the waiting is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's in the waiting that we risk trusting God the most. It's in the waiting that we have the opportunity to see God at work the most. And so where are you in your life right now that God might be challenging you to wait? Maybe you've been dealing with something for a long time, but you haven't been waiting well. Haven't allowed yourself to encounter your emotions, face the questions experience time as God's time. Or maybe God is about to call you into a time of waiting. Either way, we each have a call to be like Jesus, to see Jesus in his own experiences, fully knowing that he gets us and we can trust him. And then maybe we as a church can become faithful waiters to see God's glory revealed in us and through us, no matter the challenges we face. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, I am, I am encouraged. I'm encouraged knowing that waiting serves purpose. 
And at the end of the wait, your glory is revealed. And so, Lord, let us be faithful waiters, knowing all along that you are at work within us and through us and in the lives of others around us. We love you, Lord.